It is May 1st and we are kicking off Mental Health Awareness Month by having a conversation with the executive director of NAMI Florida. That's the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We're talking all about their priorities for this year, which are really focusing on teens and mental health, as well as mental health in the workplace. And Jared Strickland is also telling us about his own journey with his mental health. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to meet and also introduce all of you to Jared Strickland, who is the executive director of NAMI Florida. Welcome to the show. Well, appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Um, And you are calling in live from Tampa, Florida, is it? Well, I'm in the middle of nowhere um, on the the east coast of Florida, so uh, (laughs) Tampa's my home. Got it. Um, So we have the Florida connection, which is great, and um, super excited to meet you, obviously learn more about your story and also your work with NAMI Florida, um, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the nation's leading voice on mental health, which is such an important topic, um, and I'm excited to learn more about your work there. Um, initiatives this year, but first I would love to start by learning a little bit more about you and your story and kind of your career path, how you ended up with NAMI. Travel back in time with me to your ninth grade year, right? It's an exciting time. You're transitioning uh, from middle school to high school and, you know, it's, it's challenging, it's fun, exciting, but it's also a lot of just confusion and uncertainty as you're navigating a new part of life. Um, and so really just go through that year and, and summer's about to start. You're actually there the Sunday before summer break. You know, you've gone through uh, a wild year in high school, your first year, and uh, excited that you don't have to wake up so early, right? Don't have to go to school. You can just hang with friends and do whatever you, do you ever want for the summer. Um, but as I laid my head down that evening uh, to go to sleep, just anticipating that summer break, I had my first uh, experience with terror, just gut-wrenching, like you're you're losing sense of reality. And and what I didn't know then, I was having my first full-blown panic attack. And uh, it just just kept going. It seemed like it just lasted forever. And I eventually fell asleep, you know, hoping in the morning I'd wake up and it would just be a distant memory, a a bad dream. Uh, But woke up the next morning within 10 minutes. I, I was having panic attacks, uh, full-blown, just every symptom under the sun, um, to the point where I didn't know what to do as a 14-year-old. What, what do you do when you're experiencing something you have no context or no uh, awareness of um, before that? And, you know, told my parents, like um, my, my grandparents, they didn't know what to do. They they didn't have that, that education or that awareness. We never went to the doctor. And I'd like to say it just sort of, you know, went away. It was a couple of days, and, you know, it got to my summer, but um, 
it lasted every day. I had cascading panic attacks where one would come right after the other, after the other, after the other, until my body was completely exhausted of the mental and physical energy to produce those panic attacks. And uh, that lasted for about a year and a half wow. um, of just not knowing I, I thought I was losing my mind if, you know, looking back at a 14, 15 year old, uh, it, it ruined my summer. Obviously um, I couldn't go to school. Uh, I ended up being homeschooled. I moved to Michigan to be closer to my grandfather. And, um, and so it was just a challenging time of not knowing. And, you know, fortunately those subsided after a year and a half, you know, and, and fast forward, I, I managed and pushed through them. Uh, to the point where they just became part of my reality, part of everyday life, and and not in a good way, it just in a survival way. Uh, and I ended up actually in the military <laughs> somehow. And uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I'm in 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 Baghdad. I'm deployed, uh, get injured, uh, and go come back home, and you know, go through therapy, go through rehabilitation, and with the diagnosis of post traumatic stress generalized anxiety disorder panic disorder and the whole nine yards uh, ended up being medically discharged uh, which really started the unraveling of who I am um, I didn't know what to do and that was a five-year painful journey uh, all but just destroying my my first marriage and, and in a lot of ways my family and I ended up you know finding my way into a, a psychology program actual going back to school able to go back to school and uh, ended up working with Wounded Warrior Project, uh, helping develop peers uh, across the, the nation and support groups. Because I, at that point, I, I wanted to give back. I didn't want anybody to feel like they were alone, to go through this journey of, of mental health uh, and recovery alone. And so that led me, that's why I went to Wounded Warrior Project, spent six years there roughly, and um, also developing mental health programs, uh, non-clinical, just really to, to be on that peer level with them uh, and help be a part of that journey for them. I left Wounded Warrior Project, travel was just so much, had a family, and uh, I needed to be home more. Uh, ended up in long-term care through COVID. And if you were awake during COVID, you, you knew how it was impacting mental health for everybody. And, and mine included in, in the long-term care industry, just extreme amount of stress and, and pain. And then uh, when this position opened up with uh, NAMI Florida, uh, it, it was time. It was time for me to get back to what I love doing, and that's helping people in their, their mental health journeys, no matter what they're working through. And uh, I'm grateful to be here. It's an exciting time that we're, we're living in as far as at least the awareness of mental health and being able to have even more impact on those those people's lives so thank you so much for sharing that um and also i want to say thank you so much for your service as well i do want to go back and ask you a little bit more about that because you mentioned um after being medically discharged being diagnosed with ptsd panic disorder was the panic disorder something you were diagnosed with prior to getting in the military because you mentioned you know somehow i got into the military having these panic yeah. attacks so Tell me, like, do you think it was exacerbated by, um, you know, serving or was it, I don't know, kind of walk me, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. So, like I said, when I talked to my parents, when these things were happening, um, they didn't know and we never saw it 
you know, professional help. They never took me to a doctor. Uh, and it, it's just something that they didn't know what to do themselves. And so I, I was never diagnosed. And so when we look at the military experience, it definitely exacerbated in some ways that condition, of course, because it was already there. It was from childhood trauma that, you know, looking back, I can say these, how the things are linked. Um, but the military just added to that and then added some additional uh, just based on combat experience and uh, everything that happened in the military. So um, if I were diagnosed formally, I probably would not have made it into the military because that might have disqualified me um, from serving. Uh, but uh, I, I'm glad I had the opportunity to. It was a very hard part of my life, but it was an honor to be able to do it. Interestingly enough, you know, you mentioned that y- your parents didn't really know what to do, didn't take you to a doctor for it. Um, do you think, because I mean, obviously you don't look a day over 25, um, but at that time, was it just that those things, like you said, there was a lack of maybe awareness or knowledge around what was happening, around what to do um, in, a, in a different way than there is now? Yeah, so I, I'm in my 40s, so I'm aging <laughs> successfully, I guess. Um, if they had known, you know, these are some signs and symptoms of just mental health issues, that it would have been maybe a different discussion. But also, on my side, I didn't know how to communicate what I was going through because at 14, uh, and at that age, there was no social media. The internet was even in infancy, um, and we didn't have a computer to be able to access the internet. So uh, I didn't have the tools either to communicate to say, hey, this is actually what's going on. All I had were these very abstract ideas of this terror, and how do, how do I process that? Because it never got resolved, um, you know, at 14, 15, and the 16-year-old. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more about your role now with NAMI Florida and um, really just your goals, the goals of the organization and, and what you're currently working on right now. Yeah, so my role as the executive director is really to take the vision of uh, our, our board of directors take the vision of really what we want Florida to be as far as uh, the resource for mental health, uh, how we increase access to care, um, how we support, how we advocate, uh, and put all those pieces together and make it work within the organization and, and be really that uh, that person that puts it together. Um, and I say that because I don't have all the answers, but I'm surrounded by so many wonderful staff and board members who have been in the field for longer than I. They have more credentials behind their name than, than the alphabet. In, in a good way, they they've really have a handle, and I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of an organization who is, has so, much sub, so many subject matter experts uh, to be able to uh, come alongside and, and move us in that direction. But as far as our, our initiatives, we're really focused on a number of things. Our main core of what we do is to provide support, free support, education on mental health uh, to individuals and families, but also to uh, loved ones and and, and workers in the field and and providers and advocate. You know, at, at the state level, what laws need to be changed or what laws need to be added, what legislation needs to be improved to increase access to care, but also to uh, to prevent, you know, a lot of what we see in the, the crisis response system. 
um, so that we are having a positive impact as a state um, with how we view mental health uh, moving forward. Yes, so we're really focused on teen mental health as one of our, our main initiatives and really working with our, our partners in the community, um, whether it's DCF or those with vested interest that want to see impact made on our, our teens' lives. Um, also looking at workplace mental health, supporting our employers and support, supporting the, the workers, employees, uh, be able to support each other, but also setting up stigma-free workplaces that allow for that conversation to be had without um, you know, the, the threat of stigma or retaliation or just any type of uh, you know, feeling bad or guilt or shame uh, from what you may or may not be experiencing. Uh, and, and peer education, being an integral part of training peers who have lived experience, be able to support those that need that support. Uh, and so really, we're really focused on those uh, aspects of mental health within Florida. Uh, so that's, you know, that's who NAMI is. That's who I am in relation to NAMI. And I'm glad you brought up teen mental health. Um, that's something that I definitely wanted to ask a little bit more about and also mental health in general and how it's affecting all of us, especially, you know, you also mentioned um, going through the pandemic and how that's really impacted all of us. But specifically, I recently read an article in the Wall Street Journal that mentioned um, increased rates of depression, um, sadness, extreme loneliness, hopelessness among high school teens, um, but that also being worse in girls and stating that three out of five high school girls reported experiencing persistent sadness or hopelessness in 2021, and that being a 60% increase over the past decade. That's a, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not an expert in the field, but that sounds like a large increase over the past 10 years. That, yeah, that sounds like a very huge, huge increase. I think when we look at uh, the past three or four years, we have this worldwide event that no one was expecting, no one was planning. Um, we have a number of things that are sort of coming together at the same time. So we have the pandemic, which for, certainly had a major impact on teen mental health, uh, even younger than teen youth mental health, middle school, elementary school. Uh, and adults as well, um, but also an increased acceptance and awareness of mental health in general as a society. We're seeing that uh, almost it seemed like COVID had an explosion of that awareness in a lot of ways. And so I think when we look at that number, we have to look at all the things that factored into why that number might be as high as it is. And maybe it's not the fact that it's actually increased that much, but that we are now looking at the, the reports and measures and people are more willing to say yes, because it became such a, a, a big part of our lives trying to manage um, through COVID all these emotions that we hadn't had before or just exacerbated what was already there. Um, so I'm not gonna say that there hasn't been an increase, but I'm gonna say that we have to take into consideration a lot of different impacts. Um, but again, it still highlights that if even if that's an accurate number and it increased by two or three percentage points, whatever that increase is, there's a problem that we need to address. And, and that's what we want to do as an organization is go from telling the time, right? These are the, the numbers. These are the facts. These are the figures. 
we tell the time with them to building the clock what do we need to do to create the clock in florida that addresses these concerns uh, proactively uh, moving forward why do you think there is um, a greater acceptance around discussing um, issues with mental health than there there were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? I think a lot of it's generational. Um, look at the generational differences that we have. Uh, and, that, and, and that goes into also parenting the generations uh, of parents that parented our future generations. I think a lot of it has to do with moving in that direction where we were getting to the point where we were more open to talk about what's going on in our heads um, and more accepting of it. Um, And so we we see that happening, uh, especially I have multiple kids um, and a number of teenagers, and I was more open to talk about it than my my parents were. Um, We also have more access to information I think that's a big part of it. And that can be a good thing. That can also be a, a detrimental thing uh, when we talk about access to information through social media is a different story, but um, that brings with it an awareness. Let's say, hey, like if I had access to information at 14 dealing with a panic attack, I probably would have had a different discussion with my my family that would have led to more positive results as far as seeking treatment. Um, so I think that's part of the, the biggest reason is just access information and generational differences. Yeah, no, I, I think those are those are great points, right? Because thinking back um, to, let's see, I don't know, the 80s and 90s, right? Like we didn't have the computer in the home or you were just maybe starting to get one. Um, and now every kid, teen, Almost, I you know, the majority of people have their own personal laptops. Um, they have them in the schools. Like access to information is everywhere, and this increased level of connection, I think, too. Whereas, whether you're accessing information or connecting with somebody else who's openly sharing their story, it's almost like you know, you briefly mentioned social media, and there's definitely a negative side to it. But then on the other side, it's like there is almost a a comfort a shared connectedness around like sharing experiences good and bad that i think also opens people up to sharing um what they're going through you mentioned stigma in the workplace i'd love to talk about that a little bit more um and really what nami is advocating for there what challenges do you see when it comes to um, mental health, mental illness in the workplace. Yeah. The workplace is, is critical that we need to be focusing on because one, people spend the majority of their lives in a, some form of a workplace for the most part. That's, that's where they provide for their families and, and have, you know, meet other needs and desires that they have, but uh, it's just the requirement of life. Uh, in a lot of ways for a lot of people. So um, within the workplace, when we talk about stigma, I think it can be heightened in the workplace because our efforts and our perceived strengths are tied to 
a monetary compensation. Like mm. we have to produce and meet our job description if we want to receive the, the financial benefits of that arrangement, right? And so I think a lot of that stigma comes from a, a preservation standpoint, but also, again, we talk about generational uh, differences. Um, it's just that, you know, we have a lot of leaders that may still have that mindset that we don't talk about mental health, that we separate, we have these distinct categories. You leave home at home, you come to work, it's just work. Um, and, and if anything's taught us with through COVID and, and just in my own life, you, you can't separate the two. You can't say that home stays at home or mental health stays mental health. It's something that's pervasive. It, it bleeds into every part of life. And so um, addressing that stigma is, is critical because we want to create and workplaces are seeing this with the new generations that are coming into the workforce. They want a workplace that is accepting and open and is concerned about not just their productivity, but their physical health, their mental well-being, their uh, spirituality or their faith and how it all integrates and connects in life. And so providing those employers with those tools, but also providing those employees that want meaning in the workplace even more than they already have that why am I here? I have something I want to share with others and giving them the tools to be able to support uh, their fellow workers uh, because it's integrated, right? It's part of who they are. It's not something they can parse out and say, I'll deal with this when I get home. Right. Right. It, it doesn't work that way. So uh, that's our focus. And that's what we want to do is to create a community of employers and companies and organizations that value mental health, mental well-being, and and take proactive steps to create a culture that um, exemplifies that. I'm glad you bring that up because I'm wondering what some of those proactive steps are. I think, um, you know, we've really started to see a shift. Um, I, I mean, I noticed it. I have my own business now, but when I was in um, the workplace, still I'm thinking back in 2014, 15, 16, 17, I even started to see a shift with some of my employers at that time implementing wellness programs, um, taking more steps towards that. Um, and I'm sure it's even even greater. There, there are small things then. Um, and also, in addition to that, I think we're also seeing a lot of um, job seekers who care more about culture um, whether it's flexibility, hybrid, remote working, because that allows for, you know, more flexibility, like looking at all of those things that are more of a lifestyle fit versus, hey, the bottom line, what does my salary look like? Do I fit in here? Is this a place that, you know, actually cares about me as a whole person? Because like you said, we're not just like, hey, this person at work and then home is left here mental health is like left over here we're we're a whole person um so what are some of those proactive steps that employers can take to be intentional about this i think the the first step is just increasing the awareness at the leadership level the awareness of mental health and mental well-being and how that really impacts uh work life. Um, cause we've been talking about work life balance for decades. Um, uh, my first full-time job 
uh, real job, right, was with Geico. And this was back in uh, right at the turn of the century, 2000. They, they had these things already in place. So larger companies have, in some ways, implemented these things. But we still, those are few and far between when we look at how many small, medium-sized businesses. So really increasing awareness of what those are, uh, but also seeing that the workplace, what workers are looking for now are these connection points to meaning and community and, and really having a why and a purpose to what they're doing, even if it is working at a McDonald's or if it's working at a car dealership. It doesn't matter where we are. Everybody wants that purpose and that meaning, uh, but also to feel like it's a part of their lives. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more now is that that is what job seekers are looking for. So as far as on the employer side, really increasing that awareness of what uh, mental health how it integrates with the workplace, uh, but also pushing that down and in creating that culture saying, you know, we have affinity groups, you know, setting up these clusters of people that have shared interests within our companies. And even if it's a small company, those affinity groups tend to be the core group of people, but they have a common interest in, the, in a shared uh, set of values that they can have these open conversations. And so building a culture of trust and communication puts you in the right direction, right? Because mm -hmm. now you have employees that are going to be more willing to engage, uh, more willing to talk, um, but then also not tying that to their uh, their performance evaluation. Having uh, a mental health condition doesn't right. impact your productivity if we're actively seeking to support you through that. Um, because I, I, there's countless stories where companies uh, have, I wouldn't say leverage, but made allowances, proper allowances for individuals with mental health conditions who were the top performers metrics-wise within an organization. Um, they probably could do a better job, you know, the stories I heard, but uh, it, it was uh, something that, we, that employers need to be focused on. Uh, again, it's that whole person. It's not just what you can do for us. It's really what we can do for you in this relationship together. I, I like that you said, you know, it's it's like it's a part of their lives because when I think a lot of times we talk about work-life balance, I truly, I don't know what that means, right? Like I don't know that that necessarily exists if you think of balance as far as a 50-50, I think even like in partnership, right? Like it doesn't always work, shake out to be a 50-50, yeah. right? Like there's always right. kind of like that ebb and flow. Um, but if you feel good about where you are, you know, working as part of the workplace, um, you know, and it's part of your life, um, and you still have your, your personal life, of course, but it, it makes it less of like, ah, I have to like get yeah. out of this place, right? Um, I always like to ask on these episodes, like an actionable health wellness tip that you do every day to show up as your best self that you would recommend. Something really simple that I learned uh, and it just has tremendous value is remembering to breathe. You know, it, 
it seems like, well, your body remembers to breathe. Yeah, it remembers to take just enough oxygen in at times to keep you going. But I think for, for anybody, no matter who you are, uh, remembering to breathe can have so much impact that you just, you're not even aware of. And it's really just as simple as breathing in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds and holding, and then just repeating that over and over a few times because it, it, it has the opportunity to like reset the brain and it floods it with oxygen. It, it can provide that just that moment that even if you're in a stressful situation or facing a tough decision or feeling um, just anxiety about life, it can be just enough to to keep your body moving in the right direction and give you that, uh, that little bit of a reset. So that's my simple tip that I, I used even on my, on my drive here, used before this call, and uh, it, it definitely helps. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. I think somebody once told me that too, something similar, right? Like, I think so much, and I'm, I'm super guilty of this, like kind of like go, 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 go throughout the day from like the second you get um, out of bed and the whole thing. But like if you can just kind of slow down at certain points through the day and like kind mm -hmm. of just reconnect, like find a way to be present, reconnect yeah. with yourself, your body, right? Like your breath. Yeah. Um, that really helps. So I love that tip. Um, I'd love to know um, anything new or upcoming in 2023 that NAMI Florida is working on that we should know about. Two, two big things. Um, is we're rolling out our teen mental health initiative. Uh, so that will be in the next month or two, really coming to like, a, a, we're kind of start the awareness piece of it um, because we want to address uh, and we want to help support families and teens period. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to re prevent suicide. We want to prevent people from entering into the crisis system if at all possible so look out for that but also um look out for what we're doing in, in the workplace i mean we talked a lot about both and i think there's some exciting things that are coming we just had a few discussions uh, we're still in the, the first stages of it but it will definitely be something that no matter the size of business small medium or large can begin to use to support their uh, employees mental well-being uh, and uh just create that culture of, of honesty, respect, and, and openness. So those are two of the big things uh, to keep an eye out for. Um, and we will push that out on our, our website, NAMIFlorida.org, and uh, on our social media. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. And lastly, I do want to ask, too, um, you know, about what, what should people do, right? Because I think there's a range and a spectrum from whether it's, you know, feeling a little bit of sadness to, you know, I went to your website and I saw that word crisis, like if you are in crisis. Um, I guess, how do you know um, what type of resources or help to seek out um, and what to do depending on where you are on that spectrum? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is if, if you're having those questions um, and you're looking for those answers is just start the NAMI Florida.org is a, a good place to start because it does answer some of those questions as far as, you know, if what you're feeling, you know, 
where that could lead you and, and where to specifically to go to resources because all of us experience stress and anxiety of some sort. All of us experience sadness at times. Um, it's when those things become a part of your everyday life and they begin to impact and they begin to, uh, you, you start seeing the effects in every area. Uh, and even if you're functional, if it's something that you're, you have an inner awareness of day in and day out, and I think that's something we need to, to understand as well. We, you can look the part, mm. but on the inside, um, these things are going on. So starting that journey of just understanding, but also not being afraid to, to seek out help. It, there's nothing wrong with going to a therapist, even if uh, you're, you're completely healthy and fine in every aspect of life. That's just, you know, normal part. I think we need to normalize that. It's okay to talk to people um, who have that knowledge. So don't be afraid to do that as well. But the biggest thing is you're not alone, right? Um, that's why NAMI Florida is here to, to help you understand that you're not alone in this. We all have that lived experience here in NAMI Florida. And we want you to understand that as well. So. Uh, that's what we want to be is that resource to help point you in, in the right directions, but also provide that support if you do need it. Wonderful. Um, is there anything else, Jared, that you want to add before we go? No, I think we had a, a great discussion. Um, you know, again, just ending the stigma. Um, mental health is the same as physical health. Having a heart condition is the same as having uh, depression. It, it, it's not something that we need to say it's something wrong with the person, right? Get away from that model of addressing mental health as, well, there's a defective part of you. We don't really do that with physical concerns, right? Um, so let's stop doing that with mental health uh, conditions or concerns and just look at it as, let's treat this. Let's, let's be proactive. Let's not push it under the rug anymore so uh, end the stigma that's what I want to end on end the stigma absolutely well said and the last thing we'll also end on you you just mentioned it but I want to shout out um, your website social medias make sure that everyone connects with you um, there just tell us what those are yeah so LinkedIn Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, NAMI Florida, N-A-M-I Florida spelled out. You'll find us there. And namiflorida.org. Wonderful. We'll link to all that below as well. Make it nice and easy for people to find you, connect with you, learn more about what you do and everything that you are working on in 2023. Jared, so appreciate this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Thank you. Awesome, Kamiko. It was a pleasure and an honor. So thank you for the opportunity. Hope you enjoyed that episode, learned something new. Make sure you go below and connect and learn more about NAMI Florida. All those links are below in the show notes. And also connect with me if you haven't done so already. I don't know why not. You can find me all the places. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'd love to see you there. And also hit subscribe on YouTube. You know why? Because we come back every other week with new episodes of this podcast. And I'd hate for you to miss out. So until I see you back in two weeks, because I know I'll see you then, stay happy, stay healthy.